You're listening to the Flow Theory Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I am your host, Wade Peary, and boy, do we have a fantastic guest for today's interview. Virginia Cavalier football legend, running back, Michael Juice Simpson. The man gashed the Maryland Terrapins in 2007 for 271 all-purpose yards and two touchdowns. His 271 all-purpose yards were good enough for sixth most all-time in UVA football history, ladies and gents. And his 152 receiving yards in that game were the second most receiving yards by a running back in ACC history. Not to mention, he averaged over 10 yards a touch. Every time he touched the ball in that game, he averaged over 10 yards a touch. Absolutely disgusting, ladies and gents. But without further ado, please welcome Michael Juice Simpson. How's it going, Juice? Thanks a lot for coming on the show. Thanks for inviting me. I'm doing good, man. Man, appreciate you inviting me to this show. Um, I'm seeing a lot of good things with your podcast, and I'm excited to get this conversation underway. Awesome, Juice. Well, the first things first, this podcast is all about talking about games in the flow state. Your biggest one in your Virginia football career was at Maryland, like I was talking about, 271 all-purpose yards, two TDs, the sixth most all-purpose yardage in Virginia football history. Tell me what was going through your mind before that game, Juice. Was there anything in particular where you felt good? Because I know that you said you like night games in the uh, Wahoo Watch Party last week. Yeah, so night games have always been my favorite ever since. You know, I was able to play the lights in high school. Uh, but this is a funny story. So to be honest with you, um, that was the week uh, before the Maryland game that they had moved me back to running back because I was playing like a flex kind of wide receiver here and there, running back, whatnot. Um, and then Cedric Pierman got hurt. Um, and then uh, we played Connecticut that week. I think I played one or two plays, and then they moved me back to running back. So to be honest with you, I didn't even think I was going to play in the Maryland game. And during the week, Coach Dex, he kept saying, hey, you're going to get your shot. You're going to get your shot. Uh, but I just didn't believe it, to be honest. Um, and I remember sitting outside of the hotel because it was a night game, so we had a lot of time to sit around. Um, it was probably about four or five hours before kickoff. And I remember sitting outside on the phone talking to my friend from back home. And, you know, we're joking and laughing. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to play today, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then um, I don't remember exactly who it was, but one of the players came out. And they were like, yeah, um, I think you're going to have a role tonight, man. Uh, so that's when I went back into the hotel. And I went and had a little brief conversation with Coach Dex. And he pretty much reiterated, yeah, you're going to be used uh, often tonight. Um, so I remember going right into the film room, um, and I was by myself, and I started to catch up on film because, like I said, I didn't take it serious, to be honest with you, because I didn't expect to play much. Maybe, you know, a couple plays here and there, kind of how, how the season was going. Um, and I remember just going in there and, and trying to lock in as much as I can uh, right before that game and get as much film as I can and studying, you know, the Maryland defense and, you know, the pressures that they bring and, you know, the personnel that they had. Uh, and that's how it kind of led up to the game. So it wasn't, you know, something that I like planned for or, you know, uh, really got excited. Uh, you know, it was kind of in the moment where, you know, it came to realization that I'd be playing a couple hours before the game. Yeah. I mean, you had such an incredible performance that game, Juice. I mean, was there a point in that game where, like, you just had tunnel vision to where, like, you, you couldn't see the sidelines? I mean, Explain, like, what was going through your mind on that final drive when you touched the ball 14 or 15 times. Because you said that, 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 just a locked in focus. You know, as a player, honestly, I never heard the announcers, I never heard the band, I never heard the crowd while, you know, I was in between lines. Um, so I was just locked into the game and, you know, trying to stay, you know, in tune with situations were popping up throughout the game. 
uh, talking to players, you know, my teammates on the sideline, you know, the tendencies that they were seeing. Um, and to be honest, I didn't even realize I touched the ball the front of uh, 15 out of 16 plays or that I had, you know, 150 yards receiving and 119 rushing because I was just so caught up in the game. When we were leaving um, to head back to Charlottesville after the game, uh, that was the first time I got kind of to my phone. And my phone was blowing up from social networks and, you know, different friend requests and messages, you know. And then I remember uh, ESPN, they gave me the uh, Player of the Week game sticker. And that's when it came in and it set in what I really, uh, you know, accomplished that night. But just playing in the game, to be honest, I was just taking one play at a time. You know, that's where our coach preached to us, you know, the next play, kind of forget about what you did the last play, whether it was good or bad. So that was my mindset for the game. So honestly, I wasn't even aware, you know, that I touched the ball that many times or that I had that many yards or, you know, I had more yards than the whole Maryland offense combined. Um, so I was just so focused in the moment, you know, that I didn't really care for, you know, my individual stats. The biggest thing, you know, to me was getting the win and the way we won, you know, the last for the 15, 20 seconds, flipping over the end zone. Um, you know, and it being controversial because the guy knocked the ball out of my hand. But, I, you know, when I looked down, I knew that I had scored, so I wasn't worried about the fumble. But, you know, it took some time, you know, for the to sort things out. And then right before that, uh, we had a crucial fourth down and fourth. Yeah, but, talk about uh, that pylon dive, the first down dive. Yeah, so actually, I screwed that play up. If I were to follow Brandon Albert, <laughs> you know, around to the outside, it would have been a clean walk-in. But my mindset was I need to get straight downhill and do whatever I have to do to get this ball over the end zone. It created a pile, you know, so it left me in. My only option was to jump over. Like I said, I was looking down at the goal line the whole time while I was stretching the ball out. And once I seen the white line behind me, I really didn't care if they knocked the ball out, you know, if I got tired. I didn't care at that point because I know we were winning. Talk about the dive that you made for the first down on on fourth and four. The way you were you were getting knocked out of bounds like midair to be able to extend the ball right at the first down marker. Like to this day, one of the more impressive UVA football first downs I've ever seen. Yeah, so actually during that play, uh, you know, like at that point, I had uh, thirteen or fourteen catches at that point. So Maryland kind of got you know used to me coming out the backfield catching. And I remember when I was going out for a swing route, the first two or three steps I took to open up, I seen the linebacker kind of following me. So in my mind, I'm like, Jamil, don't throw me the ball. But Jamil gave it to me, you know, and it was just a wreck to that pylon, which was, you know, to me, the first down. And once I got close, I knew my body was a little short. So the only thing I could do, you know, was fourth down. I had nothing to lose. If I fumbled, who cares? I was just going to stretch the ball, you know, as far as I can. You know, we got the first down literally by one or two inches, you know, and that kept the drive alive. And we sealed it off and got the win. Yeah, I tell you what, that game to me symbolized something about you and Jamil Sewell that I always knew, but I didn't really think about it until I heard Coach Grow talk about it in the Wahoo watch party in the, for the Miami game. I rewatched that before we talked today, and I tell you what, you and Jamil Sewell had some of the best chemistry I've ever seen as far as a quarterback running back handoffs and play fakes. And I thought it was beautiful how you guys talked about Jamil Sewell's body control. And not only that, he had some of the most beautiful ball fakes I've ever seen out of any Virginia quarterback. Talk about that a little bit in Jamil Sewell. Yeah, Jamil was great with the ball fakes. Uh, he was a magician back there with that. What helped that a lot, too, and, you know, the defense has to respect the fact that you can pull it down and run, you know, or you can run it off of a bootleg, you know, you're a threat on a rollout pass to tuck it and run, you know, and pick up some, some yardage. And Jamil was a big guy. Jamil was you know, 230, 240 area. So he could take those hits, and Jamil was aggressive. You know, he had, honestly, he had like that linebacker mentality playing quarterback. And like I mentioned in there, Jamil, too, was the only quarterback that I know in the history that would talk so much trash to the defense. And I'm like, that's kind of the opposite playing quarterback. You don't want to tick that defense off, you know, give them more reason to want to, you know, inflict pain on you, you know, when they do get a chance to hit you. So Jamil just was a competitor. He was a monster. He was fierce. But the chemistry that me and Jamil had, you know, got us in trouble a couple times because, 
you know, I had the mindset where, you know, if I had a, a check down route or if I was going to the flat, you know, and the defense was in some type of zone or some type of man, you know, and they were sitting there where I was at, I wasn't going to be a sitting duck. Or, you know, come or be called, you know, I would tell Jamil, hey, I'm going to do this. Or, you know, hey, if they're sitting here, I'm going to break this way. You know, so I would break a lot of my routes because I just didn't want to be, you know, a stationary guy being covered. I always wanted to be a threat. Uh, and like I said, Jamil was a guy who extended plays. So that gave me, you know, the opportunity to break off routes, you know, uh, whether they were angle routes or, you know, like I said, swing routes or flats. Um, and then one thing that we always stressed to each other was, you know, once we do these play sneaks, nobody on the backside pretty much pays attention to me. So I could sneak out the backside a lot for those eight wheels that we were connected on or, you know, whether they're five-yard passes down the field off of 50 because the guys weren't paying attention to me at that point, you know, once they realized it was a fake. And they didn't realize, you know, that I was really a threat, you know. And I think that was probably the biggest um, asset to my game was, you know, the ability to catch, you know, and run and make plays, uh, you know, out of the backfield. I just want to end up in the backfield at all times. You know, I, I saw someone scouting report, this guy, a writer named Jay Who online, and he wrote about your running style. He talked about how you were a glider. And I was like, you know what? That's really the best adjective I can use to describe your running style. You really, it was kind of like you were floating on air. You just kind of glided across the field. Is that like yeah, the way your running style's always been? Yeah, so, you know, my dad, you know, he's obviously watched me, you know, run more than anybody in my life running football. And he always, you know, compared me to the Eric Dickerson style. Um, I'm fast, you know, but it's deceptive. You don't really think that I'm, you know, running full speed, you know, because, like I said, it looks effortless, you know. And I think that's kind of, honestly, one of the things that I got for practice, you know, because it didn't appear that I was practicing harder, but that's just the way I was, you know, developed to run. So like that caused some confusion, you know, and cost me some playing time and whatnot. But, you know, we got to the game, you know, you seen the same style that I had in practice, you know, transformed over to the game. Um, like I said, I was always prepared, you know, at that point I wasn't even playing before the Maryland game, really, like I said, it's to be able to go in there and have with twenty eight or twenty nine touches. I didn't check out the game. I wasn't never tired, you know, so like I was working my butt off in practice and away from and stuff, but sometimes you know, it just went unnoticed because, like you said, it looked effortless. Like I was just gliding. Yeah. That 2007 team, really one of the more special teams in Virginia football history, Juice. You guys won five games by two points or less that year, an NCAA record. Talk to me about the togetherness of that team and the way Al Gro talked how you guys just never really panicked throughout games. Yeah, well, well, Coach Girl's motive always was the next man up, you know, so if somebody got hurt or, you know, somebody had to miss a game, you know, we always had that that mindset that the next person, you know, was capable of doing, you know, the job just as good. Um, and also, I have to give a lot of credit to our strength coach that year, Coach Bevis. And, you know, those were some of the most accounts that I've ever experienced, you know, from any strength coach, you know, uh, at any level. Um, and like I said, that night before, you know, the actual summer camp kicked off, we had a midnight workout, you know, where guys came and wore painting. You know, they wore, you know, rags around their head and, you know, cut up the shirt. You know, we just had fun with it. But it was that band of brothers mentality that we had. You know, everybody, you know, with that team, we hung out, you know, off the field as often as we can. You know, we sat in the locker room and we had tons of conversations, you know, building, you know, that trust and that relationship. So I think that was the biggest thing, you know, the leader, you know, of that team, you know, Jim Hill. And uh, Chris Long, you know, they never you know, thought that they were bigger than a team or anything, you know, above anything. Those guys were literally doing anything, you know, everyone team was doing. You know, and that's just a, that's just a tone. You know, you see your best players, you know, with the freshmen, you know, impressions and sophomores and stuff like that. Because usually you don't get that, you know, in a lot of programs, and especially a lot of, you know, proven athletes, you know, you know they come to this stuff sometimes. You know, they're not there for it. When it was, you know, other stars on the team, man, it was, no matter how much you played, you know, whether you played red shirt, you know, everybody viewed each other the same. I think, like I said, that bond that season, you know, to trust each other and trust the process, you know, no matter how hard those games got, you know, whether we got down 10 points or 14 points, we all knew, you know, at some point, you know, it's going to click for us. And, you know, 
like I said, Coach Grove prepared us, you know, for those situations and those moments in practice, you know, with, with hardball situations, fastball situations, you know, just preparing us for those things. So we got to the game, you know, it, it wasn't so much of a stress, you know, it was kind of like second nature because we already repertoired those things. And, you know, often for that year that we won against that defense, man, sometimes it was harder in practice, you know, than the game with, you know, Clint Simpson and, you know, uh, all those guys on the other side, man, those guys were physical. They were tough. So we got to the games, man. We were like, yeah, we're ready. We're ready. Yeah, that defense was definitely loaded. One of my other favorite wins from that 2007 season, one of the best wins in Virginia football history is when you guys closed down the Orange Bowl in one-sided fashion, 48 to nothing, just an epic, epic win for Virginia football. You said you were nervous before that game because they had all the Miami stars there for that one. Benny Blades, Michael Irvin, The Rock. They were all there, yeah. but it was like it was, my, my favorite quote from Chris Long after that game was, he said, we were just excited to come down here and be a part of history. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, and like I said, Coach said that the whole time. It's going to be a bunch of stars, you know, NFL guys, and all the famers on the sideline. But one thing do is not put on that moment hurricane uniform and go inside those lines. So, you know, yeah, we got, you know, you know, caught up in, you know, some of that hype. But once, you know, the ball got kicked off, it was like, hey, those guys can't help this team. But, like, you know, referring back to you saying I was nervous, yes, that was the only time that, you know, in my entire career from little kid football to high school to college, I was nervous, and you know, just growing up watching the Miami Hurricanes dominate, you know, the late '90s and early 2000s. You see the videos, you know, that they had games, you know, in the '80s. So they had this mystique with them. You know, people feared Miami, you know. And like I said, at that point, the Virginia team had the number one in the state of Florida. I think we were like 0 and 19 or 0 and 15. Yep. Okay, 0 and 15. Yeah, I knew it was something like that. You know, we wanted to change that. You know, like I said, I went in the locker room early. I asked Coach Dex, you know, hey, can I go? My stomach's a little, it's so rumbly right now. Um, you know, but like I said, once the ball got kicked off, you know, all those jitters went away, the nerves went away, and it was, you know, back to business. You know, I thought it was fascinating how Jamil Sewell compared you to Percy Harvin in practice. The funny thing is, did Keith Payne tell you any stories that he had about Percy Harvin from high school? Yeah, so he didn't really get into any stories, but, you know, they played in the state of Virginia for the state championship, of course. So, you know, as, you know, Virginia players, we follow, you know, the state championship. So we heard a lot about Keith. We heard a lot about Percy. And, you know, they won that game. They upset Percy, you know, in the state championship. And Keith, you know, they said Keith played corner a lot in that game. And, you know, he kind of covered, you know, Percy. I'm sure he had help. I didn't want to film. You know, we all know what type of athlete Keith was, you know, running the ball. He was very physical. You know, a guy that big, you know, able to, you know, kind of not lock down, you know, control such an explosive athlete. You know, we went on to see what Percy Harvin did down Florida. You see what he did, you know, at the professional level. Uh, it was it was it was crazy to hear, you know, the story. Oh yeah, Keith Payne shutting down Percy Harvin to this day. One of the more impressive things of Keith Payne's football career, just absolutely epic. I wanted to ask you about. Going up against Calais Campbell, Miami Hurricanes, what would you think of him? He's one of the more gifted defensive football players I've ever seen. Wow. Man, he was amazing. And, and like I said, I can recall one play. It was a fake, actually. I think it was like a bootleg, and Jamil got rid of it quick. But I just remember getting up off the ground. I was on the ground. Jamil was on the ground. And Brandon Alvaro was on the ground. So if one person to knock down three people. And Brandon Albert was massive as well. That shows you the strength, you know, that he, he possessed. And he was fast, too. He wasn't, you know, a big guy that was slow. He can move. I remember actually uh, maybe the third or fourth play of the game when I broke about a 25-yard run, he was the guy down the field on the tackle. <laughs> like, that guy was all over the place. You know, it shows, you know, every Sunday that guy just, you know, he's – late in his years, you know, in the NFL, and he's still dominant. He got defensive player of the year a couple of years ago. So the guy is a phenomenal athlete, phenomenal freak. You know, he played with such tenacity. And, yeah, he was a guy on that team that stood out. <laughs> so, like, when you broke the huddle, he was one of the guys that I found first. Absolutely. Nothing but great things to say about Clayus Campbell. 
Yeah, you played with a really good offensive line in that 2007 campaign. Brandon Albert, Eugene Monroe, Will Barker. Uh, Brandon Albert, really, one of the best pulling guards in Virginia football history. Elton Brown is up there as the best, but Brandon Albert was right up there as far as I'm concerned. Talk about uh, Brandon Albert and how talented that offensive line was for you that year. Brandon, we go to Sweet Feet. Brandon, you know, he, we, we play basketball. Brandon can move, you know, like a small forward. You know, Brandon was great on his feet. Brandon can dance tremendously great. So you know, you know, the type of athleticism that he possessed. Uh, but one thing I want to say is, Jordan Ellipses, man, I think he was the glue to our offensive lineman. You know, he was the one making all the calls. He was undersized. But, man, he played his butt off every game. And, and people don't realize, as a center, he was pulling and leading for a lot of those perimeter runs, you know, so you can only imagine what he had to go through from, you know, pulling around the center and getting on the edge and he would do it all the time and he would make all the calls, you know, call out the front, you know, call out the mic and man, he was intelligent. You know, he played a tremendous role in, you know, their success and our team success. That starting five of that offensive line, tackle to tackle, all those guys were really highly recruited coming out of high school. From Yordy Lipsy, Ian Yates Cunningham, Barker, Brandon Albert, and Eugene Monroe was the number one player in the country coming out of high school. Absolutely. I mean, that guy, to this day, Eugene Monroe, probably the most dominant offensive lineman I've ever watched on tape coming out of high school. That guy would destroy people in Plainfield, New Jersey. He was a monster. Yes, and like I said, he did the same thing in college and pros. And if you now, oh my God, he looks like he's about 2% body fat. Man, he, he he's a freak of nature. Uh, he was always dedicated to, you know, he didn't do much partying, you know, with the team when we would go out and stuff. He was, you know, locked in and just becoming the best player that he possibly can. And I remember when Gene first got there, Man, he would struggle with, you know, the conditioning runs and those type of things. As years went on, he was dominating those things. And, you know, they were they were easy to him. So you that showed, you know, the dedication he had to improving himself and getting his body in shape. You know, because Gene came in, he was massive, you know, but he wasn't, you know, solid muscle. You know, by the time he left, that's just what he was. And, you know, that, that shows, you know, the dedication, like I said, he had to his craft. Yeah. Talk about your high school recruitment process a little bit, Juice. I know you had 50 scholarships and you were down to Alabama and UVA. Funny story about your announcement. I remember watching you on ESPN (laughs) News and you said that you were going to the University of Alabama, but you had a Virginia hat on, right? Yes, yes. Uh, you know, that was unintentional. Was honestly. that uh, was that a joke? Because I was like, he was definitely joking. No, like, no. he had that planned. I, I honestly did. So what happened was uh, the analyst, you know, he, I let him know beforehand, you know, that I was going to, you know, sign with Virginia. So I guess his role was to kind of go with the Alabama signing. You know, so a lot of his questions, if you look back, they were pertaining to Alabama. So Alabama was just, you know, at the top of my head. You know, so when I went to say it, that's just what came out, uh, you know, and I laugh about it now, but that was unplanned. You know, I look back, I'm like, wow, you know, that was that was an epic moment. You know, and a lot of fans, you know, I remember reading on the uh, social network, the boards down there, you know, out there, a lot of those guys think that, you know, it's disrespect, you know, but that wasn't the case. That wasn't my intention at all. It just was a conversation, you know, it was kind of dominated with Alabama you know, kind of setting up the surprise. Oh, well, you're not going out of there, but you're going to sign with Virginia. And, you know, I just got caught up in the moment, you know, I'm like, oh, wow, I'm not going to Alabama. I'm going to Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, my, 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 my biggest thing that I liked about was uh, got me, you know, to come to Virginia was Coach Dex. You know, when he would come up on a visit, you know, he he would be like that father figure. You know, he would be like that that mentor to me, you know. Uh, and he was a young player himself. I mean, not, not a player, but he was still young, you know, uh, kind of removed from the game a couple of years before that. So, you know, he had that player mentality. So, you know, when you have those type of coaches who can really understand, you know, and they're kind of, you know, in your age ballpark, and, you know, they understand, you know, what goes on with a college player, you know, and they're able to relate to you and answer, you know, a lot of the questions that you have. 
Uh, and he was a straight shooter. Uh, but what I like most about Coach Dex, you know, he made mistakes. You know, he wouldn't yell at you. You know, he wouldn't get on you. He would do it in a joking way. You know, if, if I missed a block or something, he'd be like, oh, Early juice, you scared of you? What's going on, juice? You know, it, it would be a joking way, but you would get his message, you know, so you would get his culture point. Then a, a fun way where, you know, it didn't demean you or it didn't make you feel, you know, down on yourself. It was kind of, you know, encouraging, you know, and laughable moments, but they were also teachable, you know, so the game was still fun. That's awesome. Talk about the Gator Bowl a little bit, Juice. How was that that game? 96-yard TD run, the longest run in Virginia history, and the longest run by a running back in a bowl game in NCAA history. Talk about that 96-yard run a little bit. Yeah, so we were back, and I remember Rashawn got in that first play, first down, you know, trying to give us some breathing room. And then, uh, you know, I came in that next play, and I remember uh, one of our defensive ends kind of knifed in, uh, and he almost kind of got me at like the one-yard line. I was able to lift my leg up. And then when I, you know, got through that hole, I see how massive it was. You know, my mentality, you know, if you give me a lane, I don't care who it is, where we're at, how far we got to go, I am not going to get caught. You know, to me, that was just embarrassing, you know, to get caught, especially, you know, when you have the clear, you have the green. So pretty much, you know, that hole opened up and Chris Gorham got a good block down the field. You know, like I said, any run, you know, successful that's long, you have to have receivers downfield blocking. Uh, once I see him getting his guy, I knew it was off to the races, and I kind of watched, you know, the play unwind on the on the jumbotron, you know, so I could see where those guys were, how close they were to me. So that was a big moment for me, you know, a big moment for that team. And you know, unfortunately, we were unable to pull that game out, but uh, yeah, we put up a good fight that game. You had twenty five touches for over two hundred all purpose in that game and two TDs. Was there anything? Were you feeling special before that game? Anything in particular? No, I don't think I ever so over like this is today, you know, you kind of just go in the game and then you just get in that zone and it's going. Um, like I said, at that point I was, you know, uh, playing, so it wasn't, you know, I had to try to get in and make a big play. I just was taking what the defense was giving me. You know, that's how, you know, the great running backs are. They don't look for the home runs. They take what the defense gives you. And at some point, those home runs are naturally going to come. So, you know, approaching that game, it was, it was that kind of mindset. And, you know, at that point I was playing, you know, with the offense and, you know, that first team about five or six games. So, you know, I got a feel for, you know, how they pull, you know, how they down block and those type of things, how they climb up, you know, to the linebackers, go to the secondary. So it was just like, you know, those combinations of, you know, just having experience playing with those guys, just having experience playing, you know, in a live game, you know, running back at that level, it gives you more confidence. So I wouldn't say it was more so like, you know, zone. I, I would say I was more confident, you know, because, Earlier, you know, you get in the game and, you know, sometimes as it goes fast, you know, the game is very fast-paced at that level. You don't have time to think, you know, because if you think at that level, you know, you're a sitting duck, you know, you, you look bad, you know, so it was just that mindset. You know, I feel comfortable. This is a great offensive line I got in front of me. You know, we're going to go out here and dominate. And, I, you know, the, the, the reports that week, you know, our, uh, our studies, you know, that they gave up, you know, a lot of runs, you know, big plays. They struggled, you know, containing the run. And that was our game plan, you know, to attack them. You know, I knew, you know, with our great offensive line, they were going to give me some chances. You know, and I just had to take advantage of them. Like I said, just unfortunately, you know, Jamil got hurt in that game, you know, and, and things kind of went south. Yeah. Talk a little bit about what you're doing now in, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I know you're working with the Capital Rebirth Foundation. That's your That's your foundation. And I saw that you guys are working on – building a facility that's going to be a $175 million, William Penn High School. Yeah, so that's a former high school that's been abandoned um, uh, for about 10 years that our local school district owns. So, you know, I started this organization, um, you know, once I found out, you know, football was over uh, unexpectedly when I found with Cincinnati Bengals, I found that, I mean, I found the physical, you know, they found that I had spinal spinosa and bone spurs, which is down to the spine, and, and, and my bones were chipped. Um, so I came home, you know, and I got into a very deep depression, you know, considered suicide. Uh, you know, the birth of my daughter saved me, you know, and that's why my organization is called Rebirth, uh, which stands for Respect Earned by Intelligence, Resilience, Truth, and Humanity, in capital being, you know, Harrisburg is the capital of Pennsylvania. Uh, so I kind of just went with the idea of, you know, basing everything around sports. And I know that there's not one indoor football stadium that exists in the whole Northeast region, but, you know, the Carrier Dome in Syracuse, which is miles away. 
So I kind of built that project off of that. So this is a project I worked for about six or seven years until I got to this point and small pieces got added, you know, education part, uh, because our, our, our community lacks a little tech area, you know, where these people can, you know, whether they're adults or kids can have these, uh, hands-on experience with trades and, you know, be exposed to those type of things. They can go out and get jobs in the plumbing and electric and, uh, those type of sorts. Um, so then I said, Hey, we need classrooms to go with that, you know, so, uh, built in the whole section where we have 50, uh, college style lecture classrooms. And I'm like, well, we need swimming, you know, minorities, especially, you know, we lack that experience in swimming and a lot of deaths occur, you know, uh, due to drowning because we, we aren't exposed to that type of stuff. And I'm like, wow, this is kind of a food desert here as well. And, you know, growing up, you know, not anybody that I know was introduced to any type of farming or agriculture, something like that. that's a piece we need. Um, you know, and then, you know, as I got older, I started working with autistic kids, you know, adults and those type of things. And I'm like, wow, they don't really have a place, you know, where, where they can come. So that's where that area came in. You know, basketball is rich tradition here in the city, you know, so it was obvious, you know, that I was going to put four basketball courts in there. A physical gym, I want that in there as well. Uh, then we had, you know, a physical rehab center, um, because like I said, we have all these on-site, you know, fitness and sports going on, you know, you need that, you know, uh, department in there as well. Uh, and then when I thought about it, I said, hey, you know, a daycare will fit great in here, you know, get these kids exposure to the swimming, you know, exposure to the uh, agriculture, you know, exposure to, you know, working out properly and healthy, you know, and, and what that does to your body especially with education. And then, you know, I wanted to add an indoor playground on top of that area because, like I said, we're, we're, we face winter up here. So, you know, we're pretty close for six to seven months. So these kids can't get out and go to the playground, you know, so they're not as active. And, you know, that, that that fight against obesity, you know, that, you know, encouragement, you know, for social, you know, bringing people together. And then, you know, everything just clicked, you know, and it's like, hey, I need to implement all these things, you know, to benefit my community, you know, uh, then I met with my team, you know, about two years ago, I formed my team and, you know, so I had tons and tons of documents and, you know, research laid out and my team, you know, they helped put everything together like glue. Uh, we placed our bid a couple of months ago. We're just waiting to hear back from the school district right now. Uh, you know, we're, we have some investors, you know, potential waiting, you know, once we get, you know, word that we have the land and we're all ready to go. And like I said, this is going to benefit our whole entire community for generations to come. Yeah, Jews. I I saw that you were working with youth that had attempted suicide. Talk about that a little bit. Uh, yeah, like I said, you know, football was taken unexpectedly to me. You know, I was coming out of college. You know, I wasn't drafted, but you know, as a free agent, I felt you know that I could play with anybody. You know, I felt like I proved that in college. If you look back at you know the games uh, and combine the catches and rushes, if I touched the ball, you know, over 15, 16 times, I was averaging you know almost one seventy a game to touch them. So in my mind, you know, I knew I could play at that level. So I was just eager to get out there, you know, and uh, show myself uh, that next level. Um, but that never happened, you know. So I came back home. I didn't have a plan. You know, like I said, the same day I signed the contract, I was supposed to go home. You know, I could never play again. So I'm chasing this dream, you know, since I was five years old. It was devastating and life-changing. And I had no, uh, you know, sight direction, you know, to go after that. Uh, and it was very depressing. You know, I drank a lot during that time, you know, party a lot just to escape the reality of my situation. But like I said, the birth of my daughter, man, that saved me completely and gave me new hope. And, you know, since I had my daughter, I don't drink anymore. I barely party. You know, I may go out once or twice a year. And that is it. You know, my main focus is my daughter, uh, you know, and improving my community in any way that I can. Um, like last week, we had a protest, which I helped organize, you know, and it's probably the first in the nation's history where, uh, I was able to get the Pennsylvania state governor, uh, the city of Harrisburg mayor, and the city of Harrisburg chief of police to protest and walk in these streets of my community and sit and listen at the rally for three hours in the baking sun. You know, two, you know, concerns that we have within our community. And the next day, read the headlines, the mayor started to implement, you know, different forms for, you know, uh, police brutality and, you know, the approaches that they take in training, as well as the governor. You know, so our voices were heard, uh, you know, and that's the biggest thing. And like I said, I just want to change my community now. Uh, my football passion is still there, you know, but I understand now my calling, you know, was bigger than football. Well, Juice, we're all glad to hear that you're okay and, you know, that you found your purpose in life. I think a lot of people 
myself included, a lot of times you really lose sight of how hard it is for athletes to find a purpose once their playing career is done, you know, just like you have highlighted. Who was your favorite football team growing up, Juice? I'm curious. Was it the Steelers? Honestly, it was the 49ers for a little bit when they had Ricky Waters there because he was from my town. Um, so I kind of followed players. I wasn't necessarily a team-driven guy. So when he went to the Eagles, I was an Eagles fan. You know, once he retired, I kind of never picked up a team. Even to this day, I don't have an NFL team. I love college football. <laughs> like I said, before you know, I signed with the University of Virginia, I was a big Hurricane fan. And now I'm diehard Virginia across the board. I don't miss any of the games that they play. You know, I'm tuned in everything that they do. Uh, like I said, I love college football just for the fact that, you know, we have fans, we have cheerleaders. You know, these are students that you see, you know, on a daily basis, you know, coming to support you. It's pure at that college level. You know, you're not influenced by money or uh, high contracts and endorsements and all that uh, type of thing. And everybody, you know, we're all together. You know, when you get to that next level, uh, you know, people have families. You know, once, you know, you leave the football facility, you go about your own day. But, you know, in college, everybody stays together. Once practice is over, you know, everybody's going to hang out at each other's apartments, dorms and whatnot. I just love the whole vibe of college. And you know, like I said, there's so many teams and so many schools. And, and I believe college has, has more rivalry than the NFL. Yeah, I agree, Juice. I will always be a college football guy, first and foremost, just a college football junkie, reading all the Phil Steele magazines and, uh, Things like that, you know, I can never get enough. So it, it was pretty awesome, you know, following your recruitment coming out of high school. And it's it's also even cooler to me when the players are diehard college football fans, you know, because sometimes, you know, yeah. once you once you get out of football, you might not pay attention to it. But uh, to me, there's, oh, I'm, there's, I'm there's nothing else like a college football Saturday in the fall. It is just epic, Absolutely. man. Absolutely. And, and I finally, you know, I was able, once I got done, you know, I was just come back and enjoy the tailgating part because, you know, when we did the Wahoo Walk before games, I was like, man, this is amazing. Thousands of people coming together, just eating, you know, drinking and, you know, celebrating together from all different walks of life. And uh, right now, I'm actually also a huge Penn State fan right now. My little cousin, Michael Parson, uh, who's projected a top five pick, he plays linebacker. Oh, yeah, he's, like, big he's big time. He's big time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's my little cousin, you know, uh, so I'm cheering him on and, you know, hoping, you know, the best for him. And right now, you know, he's turning up the college level and I'm just so proud of him right now. Yeah, college football is great, man. I'm curious, Juice, what are your thoughts on the Reggie Bush situation? I know Reggie Bush, USC, <laughs> disassociated with him for 10 years. My thoughts, personally, I thought it was all bullshit. I thought it was ridiculous that they took his Heisman away for one. I thought that was ridiculous. Step two, I think the fact that USC had to disassociate from Reggie for 10 years was ridiculous because like, I don't care what anyone says. Okay. Like, sure. He got money. Okay. But it, it's not a performance enhancing thing. You know, Absolutely. like he earned that Heisman. You cannot take the man's Heisman trophy away. It really pissed me off. When out of all yeah. the players in the Heisman that have won the Heisman Trophy, they decide to single out Reggie Bush. It's like, do you really think that none of the other guys have cheated? Like, come on, man. I, I thought it was totally ridiculous how they singled out Reggie Bush. I'm in full agreement with you. And, and it's funny you brought up Reggie Bush. So when I called Coach Grove coming out of high school commit, that's why I asked to work because, you know, Reggie Bush is, you know, I feel like we, we kind of had similar games where, you know, he would line up the receiver, you know, just throw out the backfield. But that whole USC, you know, banning for 10 years, that shit never took place. Number one, USC was well aware of what was going on. Trust me, I know. College coaches know everything that's going on on campus. So if they didn't nip that in the butt then, don't try to nip it in the butt when you get caught. You should take the penalty and maybe the coaches should be disassociated with the university, but not the player. Uh, and like I said, like you just said, it was between the lines. Where, where's money? You know, is he paying defenders off? Hey, don't tackle me. No. And he's taking, you know, performance enhancing drugs where, you know, his, his game and performance is being elevated by something other than him. No, that wasn't the case. So nothing football related that happened within those lines, playing lines should be affected or brought into the picture. Uh, you know, and like I said, the guy, 
he wasn't a bad character guy, you know, he never got in trouble, you know, so it's like you're penalizing him for what? And number and another big thing is a lot of guys like myself and the younger generation, you know, they look at Reggie Bush, they look at those highlights, but you're pushing recruits away, you know, that could potentially come to your school solely because Reggie Bush came there or, you know, they went on a visit and Reggie Bush was there and they got to meeting. Like, you know, those type of things are impactful, you know, for guys recruiting, especially a 17, 18 year old guy can meet somebody like that on a visit. That can be the, 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 the commitment there. You know, it may not be the head coach. It just be, hey, I know Reggie Bush. I just, Reggie Bush. Oh, Reggie Bush coming back to our practices. Oh, he can come back and teach me some things that he learned. You know, it's like, it's it just bad all across the board. And then, you know, it sends a bigger message to the USC fan base. You know, players, like, you guys disassociated with him? Really? Yeah, I can't support you guys no more either. You know, the whole USC thing, I think the biggest the biggest thing that everyone overlooks in the whole USC Reggie Bush situation, and the, the national media doesn't mention this name at all, but I've studied it very intensely over the years, Todd McNair. They made Todd McNair, the running backs coach, take the fall for the whole thing, and they did not lay a finger on guys like Pete Carroll and the rest of that staff. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought, I thought it was total bullshit, dude. I was so pissed. It's like, okay, right. you guys are going to single out Todd McNair and not touch any of the other coaches. It was total bullshit. They made Todd right. McNair the fall guy for that whole situation. And if I'm not mistaken, he he was living with Matt Leiter, correct? I think so. I'm not really sure. So, so I, did Matt did, did, did Matt Leiter lose his Heisman? Did he get any trouble? Did he get, <laughs> yeah. you know, thrown away from the university for ten years? No. <laughs> Yeah, the whole situation just made me, it made me so mad, dude. And I'm just amazed that more people haven't haven't come out and just said, you know, I, I'm outraged by the fact you took Reggie Bush's Heisman. You know, it, it really pissed right. me off. He earned it right. fair and square. And not only that, the funny thing about Reggie winning the Heisman, he had over 2,000 all-purpose yards the previous year. I thought he should have won it the previous year. Absolutely. But then it goes back to piggyback, too. College athletes need some type of conversation for what they're doing. We're making millions and millions of dollars for that university. And I'm sure his jersey was sold nationwide, which equivalates to millions of dollars. Now I'm not saying athletes should get thousands of dollars, but an extra $500 a month just so they could pay a cell phone bill or, you know, they can get a nice outfit or go out to eat, you know, put gas in their car. Well, they don't have to be tempted to take this money. I remember in college, my phone was turned off several times because I couldn't pay a cell phone bill. You know what I mean? It's like that stuff I shouldn't struggle with when I see my jersey everywhere, when I see them on the billboards or, you know, the magazine covers. It's like we're making money for this program. Give us something back. You know what I mean? It's, I'm not asking the athletes to be paid thousands of dollars in college. I don't agree with that. But a couple hundred dollars a month is not going to hurt nobody. Yeah. And we can't work. We can't get jobs. So, you know, like the normal students, they can work part-time jobs and make, you know, extra seven, $800 a month. Why can't we? Yeah. And at the end of the day, when you equivalent all the hours that we put in, we're getting paid minimum wage, way below minimum wage. We have to go to study hall. We have to lift. You know, we have to be in meetings. We have to practice. Our day, you know, we have a 12-hour day. Seven, eight of it is the football. Yeah, I totally agree with the juice. I'll be honest, man. For the longest time, I used to think that college athletes like basketball and football should not get paid at all. But honestly, after listening to stories like yours and other athletes over the years, I've come down on the other side of it. And I think you're on the reasonable side where, you know, maybe give them about a thousand bucks a month and, and, I think the system, it, it would have to be a flat, like, income number for all players. You know what I mean? Because, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying but, just because you're a star, you get more than this player. No, I think it should be across the board even because at the end of the day, we're all, you know, time consumed with football. So, you know, it's not like, oh, because you're the star, you got to spend more time dealing with football. No, we're all there together. And without, you know, that defense or those other teammates, that star player wouldn't be getting pushed in practice the way he would to be the star that he is. You know what I'm saying? So I don't believe in getting thousands of dollars. No, I'm totally against that. But like I said, a couple hundred dollars a month just for a person to be able to have the basic needs to be able to enjoy college. Like it sucks walking around 
you know, when you're like, dang, these these normal students, you know, they have part-time jobs. They can, you know, make a couple dollars on the side where they can go enjoy life. They can go do things, you know, off campus and stuff. And it's like, wow, we can't even pay our cell phone. But I don't have enough money to put my, you know, gas in my car and I have to go back and forth, you know, to the practice facility. You know, I'm going to do that. Sometimes, you know, I have to leave my car, catch the bus or, you know, leave my car and catch the ride with somebody else. And that should never be the case. Yeah, I agree, Juice. I think they need to set up set up some sort of a stipend system. I'm curious, Juice, what are your thoughts on the new endorsement rule that, that players can make money off of their likeness with advertisements? Talk to me about that a little bit. Um, and like I said, that's where it's going to get tricky because those star players are going to see so much money, um, you know, compared to other players. Uh, I'm against that one, you know. Um, I think they should be compensated, like I said, some type of funding, you know, that it can carry them over. Um, maybe, you know, hey, if you're a star player, hey, you deserve a vacation somewhere that can be paid for, but I don't think they should have that physical money. You know, even like during our time, you know, we were on the NCAA college PlayStation game and, you know, Xbox game. If they would have just gave us a free copy of the game, I would have been super happy, you know, because during that time, we're kicking out that $63. You know, I can say, if you just give me a copy, it's not even going to cost you that much. You know, just give us something, you know, to satisfy us, but don't just take full advantage of us and don't give anything in return. Yeah, I agree, man. Dude, I miss NCAA football so much. Like, if the if the creators of NCAA <laughs> football ever listen to this, please, it's, God, find a way to get the game back. Absolutely. Please. Like I, Give the players a free copy. I'm sure they'll be happy. Or, you know, give it to them, you know, two weeks in advance. Something, you know. Phil college football is made again. I'm not ever buying another game. Oh, man. I mean, it used to be so much fun playing with Billy McMullen and Bryson Spinner and Wally Lundy, all the Virginia players. I mean, I remember I used to want uh, Gerard Mayo to go to UVA so bad, and I created him in NCAA football, and I gave him, like, a shaded visor and everything, and he'd win the Heisman. Like, dude, I, I love playing with my dynasties in NCAA football, Virginia, man. I miss that game so much. Yeah, that's the only game I could play so long. Uh, like I said, you get into that whole recruiting party. You know, like a lot of times I would get, you know, small school, you know, and I would fix the schedule to play all the big schools. So, you know, now my program is being built up. Just building a program, you know, that was wonderful too. Like I said, just playing with yourself was amazing. You know, guys back home would be calling me, hey, I'm playing with you in the game. You know, wow, you're fast on the game. And that stuff is, is priceless. It's priceless. Talk to me about Virginia basketball, Juice. Did you follow Virginia basketball in our run to the national title? Oh, absolutely, I did. Um, and that program is becoming a, a staple. You know, like I said, uh, our coach has more wins. Coach Bennett has more wins than, you know, the past five years in North Carolina and Duke and all those, you know, ACC basketball powerhouses that we, you know, are typically seeing. And the way I like, he he, he he builds a team off character. You know, it's not a coming in there dominated player where he's going to come in there one year and, you know, he's out going to the NBA. It's a fundamental system that he's bringing. And guys are playing, you know, three, four years together and building that rapport, building that relationship. And you see it, you know, like I said, our championship run, we were pretty much out of it the game before. You know, we threw that pass down the court and made that shot. That's because those guys built that camaraderie up, you know, over years. You know, it's not that one-and-done type of team. And I, I love what Coach Ben is doing down there for that basketball team. And I love, uh, you know, our football program is coming together. You know, it's like, wow, UVA sports is becoming a force. Absolutely. You know, to be reckoned with across the board. Because we were always great at lacrosse. We were always great at soccer. We were always great at swimming. You know, now we're starting to come to foreface with the two dominating sports, which is, you know, football and basketball. Man, our university, you know, we're up, we're up to something great. And then we're building that new complex, you know, sport complex come in. I'm not sure when it's supposed to be built, but that's only going to encourage more recruits to come and, you know, be able to assist our athletes in a way better way. I'm excited for UVA sports right now. Yeah, absolutely, Juice. You know, I was down at, Miami for the Orange Bowl. That was that was a classic game. I mean, we came up a little short, but I loved how the boys competed in that one. I knew 
I was sitting in the second row and I knew I was behind the Florida bench and I knew once Bryce Perkins was able to get that ball in the back of the end zone to see Dubois that he was coming down with that rock. Oh, absolutely. He didn't drop nothing, did he? He, he had some sure hands. And I'm shocked, you know, NFL scouts didn't realize that man's hands are glue. And, you know, he didn't go third or fourth round. Like, that, that's how I viewed him. That's the type of talent I thought he had. Yeah, I was I was blown away, Juice, really. The NFL draft is always a puzzling thing to me. I think it's like a lot of things in life. You know, you really can't predict what's going to happen. And there's always just mind-blowing surprises. Like, the stats that Bryce Perkins put on the football field the past two years and the fact that he went undrafted to me is just mind-blowing. I mean, he's one of the best quarterbacks Absolutely. in ACC football history. Absolutely, and I honestly thought that, you know, the Baltimore Ravens with having Lamar Jackson there and him being very similar, that they would go ahead and, and pull the trigger and take him, you know, in a in, you know fourth or fifth round somewhere at least, you know, in case Lamar gets hurt. You know, the offense is still running the same way because he was, he, you know, Bryce, that dynamic player, you know, as Lamar Jackson. Uh, I think, you know, I remember seeing some statistics and stuff. He may have been ahead of Lamar Jackson in statistics, but just right there with him. So you're getting that same type of quarterback, just not as fast, very explosive. Um, he has a good arm and defense plays. And it was a joy watching him. You know, we got him transferred in. You know, it was, it was a mystery. What is this guy going to do? What is he going to bring to the table? You know, just yeah, he he's the reason. You know, our football program is on the uprise. You know, coming in, he was a mystery, uh, and just seeing him progress every season. You know, putting the ball where it needs to be, tucking it and running and being a threat. Like I said, he's just he's not as fast as Lamar Jackson, but he was just as effective. Yeah, I agree, man. Bryce Perkins. You know, before the Virginia Tech game this year, I told all the guys at the tailgate, they're like, are you nervous? I was like, you know what? I'm not nervous at all. We got the best player in the game. And I knew in my right. heart of hearts that Bryce Perkins was not going to let that disappointment of last year's Virginia Tech game, he was going to extinguish all of that pain. And, and for him to have those two breakaway runs early, I mean, it, it filled my heart with so much joy. I knew he was going to do it, man. Bryce is a yeah. incredible person, man. What a warrior. Yeah, yeah, he, he's great, man. It was phenomenal to watch him play. Like I said, develop it. Get that one against Virginia Tech after all these years. Oh, my God, it was like Christmas. It was like Christmas. We got to keep this tradition going. We just need to beat the crap out of Virginia Tech every single chance we get in all sports across the board. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Juice, really appreciate you coming on, my man. It's It's been a pleasure to talk UVA sports with you and to rehash some memories of your career. We're thankful you found your purpose in life and that you're doing great things in Harrisburg, my man. We wish you all the best. Thanks so much for coming Thanks on, for having, my man. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. It was a pleasure. I enjoyed the conversation. All right. Take care, Juice. See ya. All right. Wahoo. You've been listening to the Flow Theory Podcast. You can listen to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and tune in.